If you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and turn me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. This morning we'll be looking at verses 1 through 10. My name is Michael. I'm the children and families minister here. And I'm thankful for this opportunity today as we look at God's Word together from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses... 1 through 10. Several months ago, I just began reading 1 Thessalonians, and I read it over and over and over again, and God just really uh, encouraged me through this book. So when I was asked to, to preach, I said, why not 1 Thessalonians? I know Sid will be back in Acts uh, next week, but 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 today Let's read verses 1 through 10. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God, the Father and Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we may need so that we need not say anything for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Let's pray together once again. Father, we thank you for your word and we declare our need of you today. God, we are people who need you and are desperate for you. And so, God, we ask that you would open our eyes. May we behold beautiful things in your word. And God, may we be transformed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. God is all-powerful, all-knowing, faithful, merciful, loving, perfect in all His ways. Praise the Lord. God is the creator, sustainer, provider, healer, forgiver. Praise the Lord. 
God is never changing, self-sufficient, wise, good, glorious. Praise the Lord. We as God's people are commanded to praise God and give thanks. And we as a church have so many reasons to praise Him. For who He is, for what He has done, for the many blessings that we have received. We are to praise and give thanks to God. Well, in our text this morning, we see the Apostle Paul giving thanks and praise to God for the church at Thessalonica. The church of Thessalonica begins in Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. Paul, Silas, and Timothy. That's why these three names are mentioned in verse 1. They, Paul and Silas have escaped, or God has miraculously delivered them from jail in Philippi, and now they're making their missionary journey to Thessalonica. They're there, and Paul, as was his custom in Acts chapter 17, he begins preaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath. For three consecutive Sabbath days, he preaches and declares that Christ is the Lord. And many believe, yet few, the Jewish people, many of them become jealous. They do not like him, and they have Paul, Silas, and Timothy out of the city, throw them out of the city. And so Paul and Silas and Timothy continue their journey. Paul is now writing back to the church at Thessalonica. And he has gotten word from Timothy that, who had visited earlier that there are some issues in the church relating to the day of the Lord and different things. And so he writes this letter to encourage them, to strengthen them, and to thank God for them. This morning, as we look at these ten verses, we see Paul giving thanks for this church for three different reasons. And these are three different reasons that we too should give thanks to God. We're going to see from these verses we're to thank God for His work in believers' lives, thank God for our identity in Christ, and to thank God for the trans power, transforming power of the gospel. So verse number three, we see the first thing we are to praise God. We are to praise God for His work, for God's work in believers' lives. Look at verse three again. We'll read two and three. He says, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before God and Father, your work of faith, labor of love, steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice as Paul begins this Thanksgiving section, as he typically does with his letters, he begins with thanks. And notice who it is he thanks. He does not thank the church, but he thanks God. Because he recognizes that it is God's work in the life of the church. He says he is constantly remembering, not forgetting them in his prayers. 
there was something about the church, something about the church that he simply could not forget. What was it? What did he remember? Notice verse 3, we see three different things. Their faith, their love, their hope. We see these three together often in Scripture. But he remembers their faith, love, and hope, but not just their faith, love, and hope, but what their faith, hope, and love produced, right? It was their faith that helped, that that encouraged them to work. It was their love that helped them to labor. It was their hope that helped them to be steadfast. So let's look real briefly at each of these things. It was their work of faith. You know, people who have genuine faith in God, a result of their life will be work. It is our faith that fuels our work. True faith always produces work. It's important that we get the order right. It's, we cannot earn our salvation by works, but it's our works that give testimony to the reality of our faith. The Apostle Paul sees this church and he, he, he remembers their faith that produced work. There was something in these people that had been changed and as a result, they began serving the Lord. Notice James chapter 2. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 17, it says this, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. It was their faith that produced work, but not only their faith that produced work, notice what else he says, their love that produced labor. It was a labor of love. This word labor, tiresome, weary kind of toll, done to the point of exhaustion. But notice that this laboring was not done to earn favor with God. This laboring was not done out of fear from a God Almighty who might strike them, but it was a labor of love. The fruit of the Spirit of their life, joy, peace, love had taken root in them, and so they loved. And because they loved, they labored. Notice these verses once again. 1 John 3, 17 through 18. But if anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us love in word or talk. Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Their love was not simply lip service, but they had action to their love. John 13, 35. By this People will all know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Romans 12, 11, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. 
God had produced in them, and Paul is giving thanks for the love that they exhibit. It was a work of faith. It was a labor of love. And then thirdly, we see it as a steadfastness of hope. Steadfastness means to remain under pressure, to stay under, to endure. Right? It's this idea of of you can almost picture someone lifting weights under the squat rack, right? I don't know a lot about that. But they to remain <laughs> under the weight is to be steadfast, is to endure. And how could they be so steadfast? How could they endure? Because they had hope. As fathers of Christ, we have a living hope, an inheritance that is waiting. This world is not our home. We are only passing through. And so we endure because we have hope in God. Something better is waiting for you. Glory, Christ Jesus. Do you believe? Do you have hope? In God, as you have hope, you can endure. First Peter 1.3, listen to this verse. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance, notice this inheritance, imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Nothing can touch our hope. Nothing can touch our inheritance. It is undefiled, imperishable. And so the Apostle Paul gives thanks for this church. And he remembers them because of their work of faith, their labor of love, and steadfastness of hope. He remembered them. I'm not always the best at remembering. Just this week, uh, coming back from soccer practice, I put some books, notebooks on top of the van, and as I was pulled off going on my way and driving down the highway. All these people are waving at me. Everybody's so friendly today. What's going on? All these people, I'm waving back. And then they're like, there's books on top of your car, on top of the van. Amazingly, they stayed there. They didn't fly off. I was going 40 miles per hour down the road. We went to New York a few weeks ago. I couldn't remember which way to get on the subway. It was quite... Whether it's phone, keys, jackets, I'm prone to forget. The Apostle Paul here, there's one thing we must not forget. It is God's work in our lives. How God has changed us. He has forgiven us. He has given us a hope. He has given us a love. He's given us a faith. And so we should give thanks to God Almighty for the work He's done in our lives. So number one, praise God for His work in us. But notice verses 4 and 5, we are to praise God for our identity in Christ. Verses 4 and 5, praise God for our identity in Christ. Verse number 4, 
For we know, brothers, loved by God. Don't skip over that. Don't skip over that little phrase. Did you know that you are loved by God? You're loved despite your sinfulness. You are loved by God even though we constantly fail. You are loved by God though we are often faithless. You see, the gospel message is not get your life in order first. It's not cleanse yourself and then get then come to Jesus. No, God says, come to me with your brokenness. Come to me with your ugliness and I will make you new because you are loved by me. Listen to Ephesians, excuse me, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Ephesians chapter 2, we see this. He says, notice our identity in Ephesians chapter 3, who we are before Christ. And you are dead in your trespasses and sins. Dead. In which you once walked, following the course of this world. Who did we follow? The course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air. Following Satan. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Our identity is not pretty before knowing Christ, but the verse does not stop there. Verse 4, but God, right? But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so in the coming ages He might so show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For he, we are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. What glorious verses, right? Thank God for Ephesians 2, that though we were dead, though we were once children of disobedience, God still loved. God was still gracious. God is still rich in mercy. And so your identity, your identity in Christ is one who is loved by God. But notice also verse 4 again, he says that he has chosen you. The church is God's chosen people. Man is responsible and we must believe. But God in His sovereignty draws people to Himself by the work of His Holy Spirit transforming our hearts. It is God's work, not man's salvation, but God. And notice verse 5, He tells us how we know we're loved and chose us. Look at verse 5 with me one more time. He says, Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. 
the message of salvation was not just a simple academic exercise. It was not a teaching moment, but it was it came to the Thessalonians with power, with conviction, and as a result, the people were changed. Their identity was one who is loved. Their identity is one who is chosen. But notice also through Scripture, I want you to see some other things about who our identity is. Who are you in Christ? Look at these. We are loved. We are chosen. We are a child of God. We are forgiven. We are justified. We are redeemed. We are not guilty. We are a new creation. God's workmanship, adopted, heir of God, set free victorious. This is who we are in Christ. We don't have to run around like Jason Bourne wondering who we are. But God declares this is who you are because of me. And because you are this person, you can have hope, you can have love, you can have faith in me. Thank God. Praise God for His work in us. Praise God for His identity because of Christ. And then finally, verses 6 through 10, praise God for the transforming power of the gospel. Verses 6 through 10. We see Paul describing the change that takes place in the life of the church. The people of God as they believed in Christ. There was a changed action, there was a changed mission, there was a changed future. Look at verse 6, 7, and 9 to start off with. We see this changed action. Who did the people become? Verse 6 says, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. And then verse 9 it says, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Their hearts were transformed. Instead of living for themselves, they began serving others. Just as they watched the Apostle Paul give his life and Silas and Timothy Now they are becoming imitators of them. They are examples to all the believers. Verse 7. Their lives were changed so much that verse 9 tells us that they turned from idols to serve the living God. You see, when we truly experience the grace of God, our lives and our desires, and our actions should change. The people had turned from serving idols to to serve the living God. They were transformed and became examples and imitators to follow. The idols they once served have died. 
What idols in my life, what idols in your life do you need to turn from and serve the living God? The idol of comfort, the idol of calendar. Do you get your worth from how busy you are? Christ calls us to die to ourselves. Notice Acts, Acts chapter 3, verses 19 through 20. He says, Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Do you need refreshing in your life? Do you need to be refreshed and know the goodness of God? The Bible says return from your sins, repent, and see the goodness of our God. Because Matthew 6.24 says, right, no one can serve two masters. For he will either hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The beautiful thing, though, is that these idols that promise pleasure are fleeting and will only leave you empty. But there is a joy. There is a purpose when we give up on ourselves and begin following the Lord. One of my favorite verses is Matthew 13, 44. It says this, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Christ is the greatest treasure. He is worth it all. And so these idols that, 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 that our hearts are so prone to follow after, they leave us wanting, empty, longing, just more and more. But when the true joy and treasure, if we want to find that, that is found in Christ and Christ alone. They had changed actions. Verse 8, they had changed mission. Notice verse 8 as well. Not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not anything. They couldn't help but speak of Christ and all He had done. I recently read a book about the multiplication of the church, and there's a quote in it I'm still trying to process. But notice this quote he says. He says this, If you're not fishing, you're not following. Jesus said, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. If I were to ask you today, who in your life are you currently praying for that is far from God? Can you name three people by name that you're actively seeking to win to the Lord? Do you know three people far from God? Have we gotten caught up in our Christian bubble so much that we've forgotten our mission? The people's faith in Thessalonica, it had sounded forth. It had gone forth everywhere. All peoples to know the Lord. They were changed. And finally, verse 10, I want you to see they had a changed future. 
they were now waiting for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Jesus delivers us from the wrath to come. Jesus is coming again. Delivered us from the wrath to come. We, as sinful people, deserve God's judgment, but God, who is rich in mercy and grace, Jesus took our place and died for us. We, as a people, have reason to give praise. Give praise for His work in your life. He has given us faith, love, and hope. Praise God for your identity. You are chosen and you are loved by God. And praise God for the transforming power of the gospel. He can change lives. Has he changed yours today? Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for this church. And God, we pray that you would just help us to remember all that you've done for us. Thank you for your salvation and your calling in our life. And God, as we now have opportunity to remember, to remember your sacrifice for us, we have an opportunity to remember your death and your blood that was spilt for us. God, may we be thankful and may we give praise. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. As we move to a time uh, in our service for our communion today, uh, I want to mention that some of those who were baptized this morning uh, may not have had an opportunity to grab a communion cup uh, as they came down. They were a little bit of a rush, and so if you need to slip out real quick and grab one of those, they're at the back door. Um, I did just a moment ago while we were praying, so if you need to do that, please, please go ahead and do that. The Lord's Supper has its roots in the uh, Jewish Passover festival. It goes all the way back to the Exodus at a time when uh, the, the Israelites had been in bondage to Egypt for 400 years. And then the great exodus comes. And just before Jesus was betrayed, uh, he too celebrates this Passover feast with the 12 disciples. They've been celebrating this feast for many, many, many hundreds of years. And as he did, he turns the symbolism from the, the exodus to a new direction. He used that Passover remembrance to act out uh, in symbolic fashion, the meaning of the death that he would face in the days to come at the hands of the Jews and the Roman rulers. The unleavened bread uh, and the wine no longer symbolize the slavery to Egypt, but it's a beautiful picture of how we have been delivered through the, through the slavery to sin and death. And we've been delivered by the Passover lamb, Jesus himself. Baptism dramatically uh, illustrates for all of us that we have, uh, we have initiated, we've begun this relationship uh, with God, this covenant relationship. 
But the Lord's Supper portrays that we are continuing in that relationship. And that's why the Lord Jesus wanted us to remember the death, burial, and resurrection in this fashion. So it follows then that only those who are baptized believers in Jesus Christ would partake in this act, this ordinance of the Lord's Supper, drinking the blood and eating the body of Christ. Because you're saying that his body was broken and his blood was shed for your sins. And only that believer can make such a claim. Jesus explained the importance of the Lord's Supper in John 6 when he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up in the last day. You know, the early church practiced the ordinance of communion. In Acts 2, we read, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. And we are an Acts 2 church. So why wouldn't we follow in Jesus' command? Today, what we do is an act of obedience. Jesus instructed his disciples to do this. Jesus instructs us to do this, to remember. So first, I want you to take the cup, and I want you to peel back to remove the bread from the top. And after I read this verse, we will share in the breaking of the bread. Luke 22. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray together. Father God, today, as we move into this time, as we remember your broken body, we thank you, Lord. We recognize, Lord, that you did not have to be a God of love. You did not have to be a God of mercy and kindness and grace. You did not have to be patient with us, but you chose to. Today, as we remember what Christ suffered on our behalf, we are also reminded of our sin. And I pray, Lord that you would so remind us that we would be driven to abandon our sin and cling only to Christ. That broken body suffered terribly so that we might have salvation. We thank you, Lord, for your son, Jesus. We thank you, Father, that he was willing to suffer for us on our behalf to have his body broken so that we might be whole in you. It's in Christ's name that we pray it. We turn our attention now to the cup. Matthew 26 says, And he took the cup, and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray together. Father God, It is hard for us to understand sometimes. It's hard for us to fathom, to take in that Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins. We were so undeserving. We are so undeserving. We thank you, Father, for your son, Jesus, who was willing to shed his blood to pay for our sins. But, God, when we think about this, our minds, our hearts go way back, way back to Old Testament times, Lord, when you said that there must be the shedding of blood or there will be no remission of sins. When you establish for your people a way for their sins to be forgiven, to be cast aside, 
so that they might be in right relationship with you. We thank you for that, Lord God. We're reminded, Lord, that much blood has been shed throughout history for the sins of many, many people. We also are reminded, Lord, that these people were saved by their faith just as we are. I'm reminded today, Lord, that as we look back to Jesus and we put our faith in Jesus, we are putting our faith in the very blood sacrifice that takes away our sins. And we thank you, Lord. We praise you for what you've done for us. And we ask, God, that you would help us to live as children of God who've had their sins removed as far as the east is from the west. May we be that way every single day, Lord, because you empower us to. Help us, Father, to keep our attentions fixed on you and to be reminded of the broken body and the shed blood that bought this for us so that we might walk in step with you, we might be your children, and we might make you proud. Father, today we come once again telling you that we love you and we praise you. In Christ's name, amen.